Before I start to address uh, core value number six, I want to look ahead to uh, number seven uh, and say that since we're combining our children's programming with the adult program, we're going to skip over number seven, which is you shall not commit adultery. Uh, so don't come expecting that next week or don't stay away because that's what you're expecting next week. Uh, we'll cover that another time. That's how our children's curriculum that we're using to guide this uh, treats that. And so that's a conversation uh, for another day and another time. But today is core value number six. And I simply refer to it as my brother's keeper. And uh, core value number six says very, very simply, you shall not murder. And just to clarify, uh, again, the Hebrew word, uh, Stephen's here, I should have checked for pronunciation before, but the uh, one I saw said that actually sounds a little bit like red sock. All right, so sock, uh, and that's the word that was translated in the IV for murder. And it speaks of killing another human being with premeditated intent. And some of the, the uh, core values we've looked, up to this, looked at up to this point honoring the Sabbath and, and those kind of things, they, they stretch me a little bit. And for me, when I get to core value number six, you shall not murder, it's seemingly rather quite simple and straightforward. However, to help us grasp the magnitude of this core value as it applies to each and every one of us, each and every day, I'm going to challenge us to look at that uh, through the lens of uh, several different passages of Scripture. And Shell's already done a good job of covering the first one. In Genesis chapter 4, we have that story of Cain and Abel, where, motivated by jealousy, uh, Cain hatches and carries out a plan to murder his brother. And the, the gals did a great job of telling the story, so I don't need to tell it again. But what I do want to center in is, as that story's wrapping up, God confronts Cain with his action, and that's kind of where my title comes from today. It says, then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? Well, he, parents, you've done that with your kids. You know what they've done, but you ask them anyway. All right. God knew exactly where Abel was, but he wanted Cain to own it. So he says to him, Cain, where's your brother? And of course, in great sinful fashion, uh, Cain says, uh, I don't know. <laughs> And am I my brother's keeper? I didn't know it was my day to watch him, all right? So I don't know where he's at. God knew where he was at. Cain knew where he was at. But let's be honest here, all right? So let me come to verse 10. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. In other words, I know what you've done, and it's just screaming at me what you've done it's time for you to own it which brings us to verse 11 now you're under a curse and driven from the ground which opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand and verse 12 when you work the ground it will no longer yield its crops for you you will be a restless wanderer on the earth and i, I want to come back to that statement and i hope you caught it as we went through that but when king says Am I my brother's keeper? Is it my responsibility to look out for him? God answers by pronouncing a curse on him because he had not taken care of his brother. So to me, that suggests that the answer is yes. We are our brother's keeper. All right? 
That's the foundation upon which we build for this core value number six. We are our brother's keeper. And Cheryl talked, she also got into the whole idea of anger. And some of you were here earlier in this series when I said that Jesus said very early in his earthly ministry that he didn't come to abolish the law, the Ten Commandments and all the Judaic law. He said, I didn't come to make that go away. I actually came to fulfill that. So it's important to note how Jesus applied that perspective to core value number six. And in Matthew chapter five, we pick up with verse 21. You've heard it said, by the, said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So Jesus is speaking to core value number six, and he says, you've heard it said you shouldn't do this, and, and you know it's still true, you shouldn't do this. But he goes on, and he says this, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will also be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Rakah, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Talk about raising the bar. I came into this discussion being told I shouldn't murder, and I'm thinking, whoa, whoa, good stuff, got that. Don't murder someone? I'm good. Don't curse anyone? Not in recent memory? Don't say anything in anger? Just got a little bit uncomfortable. All right. Don't say anything to someone that is not uplifting or demeaning. Oh my goodness. Seriously? Just when I thought I had one of the core values covered, I've not murdered anybody. Jesus says, eh, don't curse anybody. Okay, I got my tongue under control. Don't say anything in anger. Don't say anything to someone that is not uplifting or encouraging. In the middle of that verse, it says again, again, it just says, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Yes, there are times there will be anger, but the key is, as Cheryl illustrated, or attempted to illustrate, and don't you just love it when object lessons do that to you? Uh, again, we have practiced the whole FM setup and not working so great today, apparently. Uh, I came in, the computer set up exactly the way it has been set up for the past five weeks, and it's not recording. Like, seriously? Uh, so, sometimes our best plan, late plans don't work out. But there is a place for anger, but it's imperative that we deal with it appropriately. And again, anyone who says this brother is answerable to the court. And, and I'd always thought of that in terms of literally cursing someone. And I'm saying those nasty words that we talked about earlier in this series. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. But in essence, that, that rakah is really not even translatable in terms of the word. It speaks more of a tone. Y'all know you can say something really, really nice to somebody with a tone that says the exact opposite. That's right. You know what I mean? That's right. All right. So Jesus is saying murder, anger, cursing, nasty, snidey snidey remarks, snotty tone, disrespectful implications, all of which 
fall under that core value. And, and I, I go very quickly, and maybe this is somewhat your experience, I go very quickly from feeling, okay, pretty good about core value number six, to all of a sudden it's like, ah, I got work to do. But as if that's not enough, if the bar hasn't been set high enough, Jesus isn't done with us yet. And in Luke chapter 10, we get to this whole love your neighbor thing. And some of you have been here, and I most often when I talk about this, I will go to the Matthew 22 version of this. But Luke tells it from a slightly different perspective. And so in Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25, Jesus is talking about this whole love your neighbor thing. And again, on one occasion, an expert in law stood up to test Jesus. Now, don't you love that we have 2020 hindsight? I mean, when was the last time you said, I'm just going to test Jesus? But then again, sometimes we do and we don't come right out and own it. But this guy says, you know what? I'm going to see if this guy's really all bad. He says, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. It's just his intent was perhaps not the best. But verse 26, it says, what is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? So Jesus put it back on him. Matthew tells it a little bit differently, but, but Jesus puts it back on this guy who's testing. He says, you know, you want to know what to do to inherit life? What does the law say? How do you interpret that? So the guy replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Great answer. I mean, that was, the, that was the perfect answer. And Jesus has the perfect reply. He says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. It's not enough to know the answer, Jesus says, unless you actually act differently because you know the answer. As I understand this, Jesus says for us to live according to core value number six, it's not enough to simply not murder. It's not enough to simply not curse others. It's not enough to simply not speak disrespectfully to or about others. But rather he tells us we are to actually love and care for our neighbors. And I suspect most of you have enough life experience that like me, you've had or you have had, or you currently have, some neighbors that are easy to love. And you may have had some neighbors that not quite so much. Alright, we've had some of both. Donald listens often, so I'll say currently we have some great neighbors <laughs> who make it easy to love them. But also, we've had some neighbors, and I've told the stories before, that were not so easy to love. And that brings us to my final point. So we, we talked about we are our brother's keeper. We talked about anger and murder and the connection in Jesus' mind. We talked about the challenge to love your neighbor. And in this story, Jesus pinned this guy to the wall. All right. Because the guy gave the answer that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. 
and you should love your neighbor as yourself. That was the perfect answer. And Jesus kind of backed him up a little bit into the corner and said, that's awesome. Now just go do it. And do you ever have that where you realize you're getting backed into a corner and you're looking for a way out? I'm sure none of you have ever had that experience. All right, none of you husbands have ever had that experience with your wives where you realize, oh my, I just got myself in a tight spot here. So this guy is looking for a way out. And so he started this, which I find highly amusing. He started this, but he says, well, okay, I love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, my soul, and body, and I love my neighbors. God, before I go out and actually do this, just, just curious, who is my neighbor? I mean, the one on the one side who is just so easy to get along with, what about the one on the other side? Who, who's my neighbor here? And some of you know your Bible, and I actually talked about this story last year in our summer series. But Jesus responded to that with a story that we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember the story? And, and again, that kind of goes back to the video that we watched, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You had a guy, and the implication is, instead of being on his way to the temple, he was actually on his way home from the temple, all right? He's going down from Jerusalem, not up to Jerusalem, all right? This guy's going along the road, and he's a good Jewish person, and he's on his way home, or headed in that direction, and he's met by thieves, and they beat him within an inch of his life, take all of his possessions, implications, and maybe even take him as clothes, they had ultimate humility, and they leave him laying there alongside the road. Remember the story, not your heads, you've heard it a gazillion times, all right? As he's lying there, near death, along, he hears someone coming, and he's thinking, oh, finally, I'm going to get rescued. And it's a priest. Dude, he's professional at doing good, all right? It's Pastor Steve walking by. And what's he doing? That looks like a bloody nasty mess. I don't want any part of that. And he keeps going. Imagine how discouraging that guy must have been. Dude, we go to church together. You can't stop and help me. He's gone. The guy begins to lose hope again, but then he hears footsteps. Somebody else is coming. This time it's a Levite, a leader in the church. We could even say a local board administration member. All right. Ugh, that's nasty. I don't want to part of that. And he keeps going. Hmm. Then, as you know the story, along comes a Samaritan. Now again, it's important that we remember a little bit about the Samaritan. The beaten, bloody, dying man is a Jew. In the Jews' view of the social order of society, there were Jews, there were dogs, and there were Samaritans. <clears throat> All right? 
Samaritans were a different race, a different faith, flavor of the faith, and the Jews had no use for them. So we had a leader in this man's faith, someone of the same race who walks by and says, ah. We have another leader of his faith, same race, walks by, uh-uh, not having Now we have a man of a different race, a man with a different faith, and a man who has been looked down upon by the injured person's race for his entire life. If anyone had an excuse to say, I don't want any of that, it was the Samaritan. And you know the story. The Samaritan stopped and helped and did whatever needed to be done. So this person had asked Jesus, what do I have to do with inherent life? Jesus said, love the Lord your God. And we had that discussion. Love your neighbor as yourself. This guy's kind of, can we lower the bar just a little bit? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus said, eh, we're raising even higher. Luke 10, 36 and 37. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Jesus cast a pretty broad net when gathering up neighbors for us to love. Those in great need, those in distress, those passed over by others, those of a different faith, those of a different race, those who cannot, may not, ever return the favor. As I said last week, and as I've already implied this morning, I will not speak for anyone but me. But as I unpacked some of what the scripture has to say related to core value number six, it went from being one that I felt I could easily check off my list as having, yeah, I got that covered, to one that brings a certain level of conviction and the realization that I've got plenty of work to do. You shall not murder equals. Remember a couple weeks ago, I said for every shall not in the core values, there's an implied number of you shalls. So instead of saying you shall not, what if core value number six we interpreted as saying, yes, we shall not murder, but we shall care for our brother, genuinely. We shall treat people with dignity and respect in word and deed. You shall love your neighbor who is like you, and you shall love your neighbor who is different from you. You shall love your neighbor that is easy. You shall love the other one too. And trust me, Diane and I are both pictured the same neighbors as we're having this conversation. I just feel the emotion even visualizing that situation. <laughs> Which brings me to the final passage. John, as he was writing one of his letters, got into the whole love thing. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says, We love because he first loved us. 
the only reason I can even entertain the notion of loving my neighbor is if I step back and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I so did not deserve his love. I so do not deserve his love. I so never, ever will deserve his love. But because he first loved me, I can strive to give him. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. Oh. Something to chew on, isn't it? Verse 21. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Would you pray with me? Father, as I said, um, it's incredibly challenging the way Jesus took the law and took it to a higher standard. And Father, yes, there is a clear command when it comes to murder. But there is an equally clear command when it comes to loving the way you loved us. And so, Father, I know that every person here is a different place in this area. But I pray that you would stir in our hearts and help each of us to be motivated to remember we love because you first loved us and to strive to work that into everything that we do. Thank you, Father.